Thank you so much to our new Patreon subscribers. We are so grateful for you, and we see y'all. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You have surprised and overwhelmed us, and I'm just really freaking grateful. Interested in how you can become part of that club, too? Amazing! Visit patreon.com forward slash the Kate Gaffney and find out more information there. Now let's get on with the show. Thank you. And I really hope my, the, my favorite choice is that you're eating. Like, I hope that that continues throughout the whole interview. That's my yeah, I got a whole bucket of crackers right here. Okay, fantastic. Really excited about it. Very <laughs> sweet. All right. You ready to do this? Oh, hi. You're listening to Service from Hell, a podcast featuring people that are currently in customer service positions or the lucky ones that got out and all the good, bad and infinitely irritating things that go along with that work. I'm actor and writer Kate Gaffney, and I'm uniquely qualified to discuss this as I used to work at a very busy and very popular comedy club in Los Angeles. And at least one of you listening right now has probably grabbed me and told me you were ready to order when I was running around like a crazy person. So let's eat. I'd like to welcome our guest, Carl Tart. Carl was born in the great state of Mississippi and raised in the mean streets of West L.A. He's been performing improv and sketch comedy for 11 years. Some TV credits of his include, and this is only a few, Transparent, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Lethal Weapon, and Superstore. He has been a staff writer on Brooklyn Nine-Nine and the upcoming Keenan show, which premieres February 16th, Mad TV, and for IFC's Brock Meyer. You could catch him pre-COVID performing on Herald Nights with ASCAT and his improv sketch group, White Women. The Flagrant Ones is the name of one of his podcasts. The other is Carl Calls His Cousin. You can find both of those on Patreon. Carl is very funny. You should look out for those. I better know Carl from when we were just silly little baby people making our way through the Second City Improv program and then hanging out after shows trying to make and live some sort of fun life on the massive income that comes from performing improv in front of 23 people in Los Angeles nightly really good investment. So Carl, tell us, are you too famous to be here today? How did you clear your schedule enough not to flake? Was it the money that I paid you to be here? Or are you just, there was nothing better to do? Like, tell us. It was definitely the money. <laughs> you you broke me off something, something mean. Okay. <laughs> Don't give a specific figure because my other guests are going to get mad. But I won't. I won't. I won't give a specific figure, but if I were to begin to give one, it would be in the thousand. Okay. Okay. That's broke cool. me off something mean. Uh, no, I'm just playing. Of course, where else I'm gonna be? That's right, Carl. You could be right here. So it's tell us, <laughs> tell us about West LA and growing up and and doing the thing. And also because you're from LA, I'm really shocked you got into entertainment because you yeah. saw it. So well, my mom was in it. So I never knew that. Yeah, yeah. I so we moved out here because of that. So we come from Mississippi. And uh, my mom made the pilgrimage like so many of our friends do, except she had a little fat ass kid and, uh, <laughs> who ate a lot. And uh, she had to, you know, go on those auditions. And I definitely learned to my mom's great, but I definitely learned to be very independent because, you know, she had to live her life. She had to support me, you know, financially by also trying to do what she moved out here for. And that was, you know, pursue her acting career. And she did pretty well in the 90s and early 2000s and stuff. But then when that SAG strike hit, that took a huge toll on my mom's career. Well, uh, what did the SAG, because a lot of our audience is not in the industry, when you say oh, that. Yeah, 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 sorry. That's so okay. the Screen Actors Guild is the union that all of the Hollywood actors belong to. And they're just like any other union, if you work for any 
type of grocery store or a steel mill or anything. They got unions and the SAG is the union here. And in 2000, I want to say SAG went on strike. And so that halted all work. Like you couldn't, there were no actors to be on TV shows unless you were non-union. And it was that, that was kind of like career ending. If you were to go on TV, like cross the picket lines and do television at that time. So there were no new shows in production at that time. I don't know if people probably remember a time in the year 2000 where when you thought all your September shows was going to come on and they didn't. And that was because SAG went on strike and it was for a long time, like almost a year, if not over a year when they were trying to negotiate stuff. And at the same time, my mom had another baby. My little brother was born in 1999. And so before that, right before he was born, she did a commercial and she was able to support us off of that commercial for a year uh, until my brother was like old enough to like go to the babysitter and stuff like that. But then SAG went on strike. And so she wasn't getting any work. And then by the time SAG came back from strike, the reality show had taken over. So there was Survivor and American Idol and every network was was basically producing reality content. And so and then the the, the TV shows went back to it kind of killed the renaissance era of the black sitcom, because before that you had the Fox lineup and the UPN lineup. And the UPN still had their lineup for a few years after. And my mom would work occasionally on those shows and stuff like that. But the auditions were few and far in between. I think her agency went, her agency tanked during the SAG strike. It was just a bad time for work at that time. So she had to go back into like corporate America and just like get a job to support me and my brother. So you saw that and you still wanted to get into entertainment? I didn't want to. (laughs) I never wanted to. I used to do it when I was a kid. So I used to be do background when I was a kid. And but when you're a kid, like background kind of toes the line of, you know, sometimes you might say something. Like, it's it's all kind of homogenous when you're a kid actor. So I used to be on Malcolm in the Middle. I was on the pilot of Six Feet Under. If you watch the last couple's, last, like, five minutes of Six Feet Under, you'll see a little chubby uh, 11-year-old version of me. Aww. Uh, Yeah. And I did it, but I didn't like being on set. I, I liked being on set. Let me take that back. I liked being on set, but I didn't like working with the kids on set because actor kids are weird. Facts. Yeah. And so I was just like, Mom, I just want to go to school. And I want to play basketball. And I saw how my mom had to struggle. And I never wanted to get into this business because we we had some hard times and she did her very best. But trying to pursue this acting thing, like there were times where I would get so frustrated with her. Like we never missed no meals and nothing like that. But there will be times where like, you know, I I had to go to school with like whack clothes on and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, messed up shoes for a long time. And I was a I, I grew tall pretty fast. So my feet and limbs were growing, but she didn't have the money to like keep me in the cool clothes and stuff. And I went to school on the West side. So those kids had a little bit more money a lot of the time. And so I was just kind of like this bumpkin who (laughs) had these old school clothes and stuff. And I was just like, this is embarrassing. I couldn't do certain like grad nights in eighth grade and stuff like that because my mom didn't have the money to pay for it or like buy yearbooks and things. I couldn't even buy school pictures and stuff like that. So times were tough a lot of the time. And I just, you know, was like, I never want to do this. I never, I, it would, it would make me so mad sometimes. Like, mom, can you just get a job? Like, so I can have the things that my friends have. And she, you know, taught me the value of being like, just be grateful for what you do have. Like, you're not missing no meals. The lights are on. You got cable. You got internet. So be grateful for that stuff. 
Like, don't yeah. don't worry about your your friends who got the newest Jordans on, like and stuff. And I do. I'm grateful for that now, honestly, yeah. because it kind of helped me develop a personality and develop into the person I am now and uh, able to appreciate stuff. Also, buy a lot of shoes because I didn't have them when I was a kid. <laughs> also, but, personality uh, remains to be seen. I think you're not objective enough about yourself. We'll we'll see. We'll let the the guests <laughs> or the the audience decide if you have personality. <laughs> um, okay, so you but you so you resist it. You're like, I want to go. I'm going to stay in school. I want to play basketball. This is what I want. Yeah. What this is a moth to a flame. Like, what drew you back? What drew me back in? I I'll say what drew me back in was I was playing basketball in college, and I got cut. And the offers, there were no offers to go anywhere else and play. And there was no opportunities to go anywhere else and play. And so I had to come face that realization that basketball was over. And the only reason I really wanted to be in college was to play basketball. I wasn't trying to get a degree. I was lazy when it came to school. So I was like, nah, I'm, I'm not really with the, I'm, I'm, if I'm not going to play, I'm, I'm done. So I came back home to LA. I was in New Mexico and I came back home to LA and my mom was like, you're not just going to be sitting around here all day. Like, you grown now. Like, you're not just going to be sitting around doing nothing. So, and so I was like, all right, well, fine. I'm going to go. My, my friend's taking classes at the local community college. I'm going to go there. And I started taking classes at, the, at Santa Monica College. And I was taking an anthropology class, and I wrote a paper for the class. And the teacher praised me on how funny the paper was. And he was like, I'm like, the paper was so well written. Like, do you do... Are you into? Are you interested in journalism or writing or something? I was like, no, not really. I'm. I, I. I just like to make jokes. I've always been like a clown, like you know, to keep to keep the the bullies off my ass. When I was that kid, I was telling you about earlier. I was the clown. I was the. I was always making jokes and laughing and having a good time. And I was voted class clown in high school. So was I. We're the same, Carl. Keep going. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was uh, Hamilton High School class clown, and. <laughs> So I was just like, it, it, it had always been a thing. Like, I loved comedy growing up. And in my mind, I think there was something that always was like, man, I, I'd like to do that. And even when I was a kid, there was this stand-up named Lil JJ who would pop up on stand-up shows on, like, BET's, like, stand-up competition. And he was my age. He was 12 at the time. And he was funny for a 12-year-old. But I was watching him, and I was like, I'd like to do that. I, that would be cool. Like all my friends say I'm funny. Maybe I could do that. No. Comedy is one of those things that everybody tells you you can't do for some reason. No, and every, and, but also everybody thinks they can at the same time. So everybody will tell you like you, how many times, and we talking about customer service here. I'll tell you how many times you, you sitting at a bar and somebody goes, so, so what do you do? Ah, oh, well, I'm a comedian. <laughs> People tell me I should be a comedian all the time, but I just don't have the I don't have the balls to get up there and do it. But I got some fun. I'm jo- I'm funny. I got some jokes. <laughs> Let me you know? tell you a joke. <laughs> yeah. And so I was always, you know, supported by my friends. They all thought I was the funny dude. And then I get to college and my teacher says this and I go, well, why not? Like, what's holding me back from actually just trying to do this? Like, let's try. But I'm not going to tell nobody. So I didn't tell anybody. So I started coming up to the comedy store before I was I was underage and I was doing the, the open mic they used to have up there. Yeah. And I hated it. Hated it. Hated it. Hated it. And I did it for like three months. I was like, I can't do this. I don't I don't want to do this. I'm I'm and I and it it hurt me because I was like, I I felt like that was the last step into what 
ever I could. I thought I was going to be a failure for the rest of my life. Like I was like, I'm not going back to college. So I'm going to have to just work at Jiffy Lube. Not saying that you are a failure if you work at Jiffy Lube, but for your aspirations. Yeah. That would have been you walking away from your aspirations. So failing at what you wanted to do. Yeah. Or I was going to go have to go back to college and just like tough it out and be like, all right, I guess I'm just going to not be playing sports. I'm just going to be a normal college student and do this. And then somebody, one of the comedians was like, do you do improv? I was like, what What is it? What is improv? (laughs) What is is this thing? (laughs) Yeah. And they were like, well, I see that you, you, I could tell you're making up a lot of your jokes. And I was like, well, yeah, because I would write stuff down. Like I'd be on the bus coming up from South Central and write stuff, be writing stuff down. And I would get to the open mic and say something. And of course it wouldn't get a laugh. (laughs) And I would be like, abandoned. And then go into like making up stuff. And they were like, so you do improv, right? I was like, no, I don't. And so you should, you should try it. You should do improv. Do you remember which comic that was? No, it was somebody who else was doing, who was doing open mics. Got it. Okay. It, it, they, uh, like I think about them sometimes, but I haven't seen them since. I got it. Okay. That was your but, little uh, angel being like, go do improv. Okay. It was Kevin Hart. <laughs> Never uh, heard of him. Not a clue. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, 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 I was Googling around. And the only one I knew about was the groundlings. My mom knew about groundlings. She was like, you sh- there's groundlings. I've always heard about the groundlings. And then, and she was like, and there's a second city. And so I was looking around. I went to the groundlings website, didn't recognize any names, was Googling people, didn't recognize any names except uh, Phil Lamar and Daniel Gaither, who was on Mad TV at the time. And then I was like, okay, I know them. They're from Mad TV. Well, these classes are crazy expensive. Insane. And then I went to the, and it also looks like there are no black people doing this here besides these two people that I know. So let me go look at this website. Carl's black. He didn't say it, everybody, but Carl's black. Keep going. Oh, yeah. Very black. Black as hell. Black black. Black as night. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so I went to the Second City website and they had, they should set up like a, like a, a college brochure. Like when it comes to diversity, like Sam and Edgar were on the front page. I think like Amber Ruffin or Claudia Michelle Wallace was around there somewhere. I was like, oh, they got black people over here. You see Naima too. She was on that. Yeah. yeah Naima was uh-huh. like, and you go to through their alumni and I didn't know names, but you, when you click on their headshots, you see black people. Mm. And so it looked that much more diverse and the classes was like $200 cheaper. And so my birthday was coming up. My 21st birthday was coming up. And my mom was kind of joking around like, what do you want for your birthday? You want a six pack of beer? You can drink now. <laughs> And I was like, actually, if you can help me out with paying for this class, I want to take this improv class. And she was like, oh, oh. Uh, and luckily, my mom is a theater major and an actor. And she was like, oh, now you want to do it. I've been trying to get you to do this type of stuff since you was a kid. Now you want to do it. I was like, I don't need the lecture. Just can you help? Can, can that be my birthday present or not? And she was like, actually, it was a good week at work here. And she handed me a credit card and I called and the person I talked to on the phone ended up being a friend of mine, ours. It was Sasha. Get out of here. Hi, Sasha. And I asked her, I said, hey, uh, I'm not an actor. Can I still take improv for actors or do I have to take level A through E? And she was like, buddy, you don't have to take A through E. You you can come in, you can take improv. I promise you it's not going to like... Because I was nervous that it was going to be like some real like Shakespearean like, sure. you know, and she was like, you'll be fine. Like jump in, jump in the IFA program. And I signed up on the phone right there. And my my class started like in like the next day or something like that. Holy shit. 
And so I jumped right in. And that was December 2009 when I started. And uh, haven't looked back since. Had a great time. Met so many dope-ass people. There were When we were talking about diversity, like all of our friends, mm-hmm. Dwayne Colbert and Shoni Francis and Naima was... Everybody was so cool. The people yeah. who would get on, like, you would see the people on stage and then you could talk to them right after and they would be so nice and yeah. and dope and you just had such a support system. And I spent so much time up there because I was going through this like transitional period in my life where I'm not trying to be, I know I'm grown. I'm a grown ass man at this point in my mind, 21 years old. I'm not trying to be at home at my mom's house, sharing a room with my uh, 11 year old brother. Oh yeah. Like <laughs> that's rough. Like, yeah. And I like, I'm so I'm spending as much time as I can in Hollywood at that point. I'm coming up every night, renting the DVDs out of the office to watch uh, by myself in like one of their empty classrooms, like going down the I.O. and hanging out. And y'all was in like, I think you were in like the upper levels at that mm-hmm. time, like level four, com four or three or three something or three. Like that. I think we were at three by that point. Yeah. Three or four. Yeah. yeah. And so like, but seeing y'all getting to hang out with y'all and stuff and like feeling like, like this, like my first like adult experience, like going to boarders and stuff. And sure. like, that was like my first of that. So yeah, I just fell in love with it from the beginning and, and kind of immersed myself completely in it through circumstance and through interest. Why, why did it feel so different for you from going from like the open mic painful single experience to the second you started improv, you were like, oh, this is home. Why? What was the difference? It felt like basketball. It felt like it was a team sport. And you know what? It it, it kind of, maybe this is ego or maybe this is like, you know, self-confidence or whatever. But in sports, like the way people reinforce things is always through yelling whether it be positive or negative, it's always through putting you down. You never get like even you you only get praised when you do really, really well. Yeah. In a game situation. Yeah. Well, otherwise, your coach is yelling at you and calling you out your name. And, and I'm just not built for that. I was I was athletically gifted, but mentally, I'm not with that. I'm not with don't keep. It's only going to be so many times you're going to call me a bitch, coach, Like you know, Ooh. like. I'm done with this. Yeah. Like football and football is tough. I played football as well. I played basketball and it was just like, and then the first day of class at second city, I have such a good time. And my teacher's Matt Craig, my IFA one teachers, Matt Craig, the nicest guy you can have on and the, the most planet. energetic and enthusiastic yes. guy you can have for that first level. Yes. And he gave me positive reinforcement. Yeah, he does. Like it felt like, it felt like scoring baskets and the coaches being like, yes, good job. Wow. Like, and so I, I, it soothed that part of the ego that I did not get out of sports. And I was like, but it still felt that way. Cause you had a team, you had mm-hmm. to play off each other. You had a coach telling you what to do, what play to run, how it, it and it was, I was like, I can comprehend this and it feels better. It just feels better. Mm. And so, yeah, I just immediately was just like, yeah, this is what I want to do. Now, did you find that the that you had any negative experiences where you were like, but I'm still because I, I think the reason I'm asking this is because I think with comedy, I've heard of comics who their first like month of comedy, they were like, this is miserable. I'm out. I'm never going back. But mm. they felt sort of drawn to it. So did you at any point think, OK, now that I have this improv base, this is dope. Now I want to try stand up again. No, never. No, I didn't think I needed it. Okay. I think I was getting 
I think I was getting out of what I thought stand-up was going to give me. I was getting that out of improv. That's awesome. Because okay. at that time, I didn't have no goals to be. I didn't. I wasn't taking the classes to eventually get on a TV show or something like that. Except for SNL. Sure. You know? Sure. Like I was like, oh, I can. This this can potentially lead to Saturday Night Live or something like that. But it wasn't to be like, oh, this is going to help me with my auditions. This going to because I wasn't thinking about that at that time. I was doing background work. You and were. I was, okay. I was looking at the actors. That's how I was like kind of paying my. Because even though I lived at home, I was supporting myself. Like. I'm so grateful for my mom for letting me have a place to sleep, but she didn't have no money to give me sure. at that time, you know? So yeah. I was, I was doing background. I, and I wanted my own money. I was like, I don't want to have to rely on my mom for money. I want my own money. I'm working towards things that I, I want to buy for myself. So I'm doing background work and I'm, I'm doing, and I'm watching these actors on like, and I'm like, uh, I could do that. <laughs> like, Cause I was doing like teeny bopper shows like sure. Glee and like uh, Greek on like ABC Family and yeah. like which is now Freeform and like I'm doing that type of thing and I'm like man I could I could do that they ain't they ain't really acting acting because <laughs> I I know what it is at the time I just was it was it was more me rebelling against my mom saying my mom does this I'm not finna follow in these footsteps of hers. I'm I'm gonna do my I'm gonna be my own person because I didn't want people to be like oh that's why you got an act because your mom you, you know yeah it's like no I wanted I want to do what I want to do that's why also I really went so hard in the improv so I could call myself a comedian and not just an actor okay but do you think on some level too because you saw your mom's struggle that it was the association with entertainment is struggle and that's infinitely less attractive than if your 100%. mom were yeah like one hundred percent yeah because you you yeah. you saw her go through that and you it affected your life yeah. And another reason I think, and th- well, I'm sure we'll get to this too, but like, I think it made it easier on me that I had a a hook. I think the fact that I'm where I am right now is solely because I did improv and didn't just come out here and was like, I'm going to be an actor. How do I become an actor? Reading the Backstage West and go to Samuel French and get, you know, the books and stuff like that. Like, like because I didn't take that route, because I have something almost like a trade within the trade of acting. You know what I'm saying? Like I have a specialty. Yeah. And you know, Dwayne has been a guest on the podcast and he was saying that when we started, cause we started in like late 2008, like early 2009. And it felt like there wasn't really an improv scene necessarily in LA where people like hung out and made the city theirs and performed together. And it sort of felt like the people that were doing it were so untouchable that, and the, the, wasn't very big whereas once we started as you mentioned you know going to Bordner's and hanging out and blending all the classes but also our teachers became our friends and there wasn't this hierarchy of you know that the hierarchy that I've experienced at other schools didn't exist at Second City it was like Keegan would come and hang out with us Naima would be with us after class like people who are massively successful were not coming at it egoically they were like yeah Mm. we'll hang out with you which made us want to be around there more which yeah. made our improv better, I yeah. think. Yeah. yeah. I think I, I, I love the way the Second City program works where you stay with the same people yes. the whole time. I've done the other programs and you you get you leave your class. Yeah. Like when I when I was doing UCB, like there are people who I took level one at UCB with who literally did not do improv after that class. And that was majority of the class. Really? Only when I see people now who took that level one class with me, because I took level one like a year after I graduated Second City, so like early 2012-ish. Like when I took that level one class, there's maybe like 
two people from that class who are still even pursuing improv or like, you know, still they just take it because that was the thing that your agent was telling you to do. Take an improv class. What's the most popular one is UCB. UCB, Yeah. So So, so it was just check the box, get the. So once they have a class, they can say, okay, I've done it. That's it. And remember how Second City used to tell us, like, do not put that you are an alumni. Oh, they were up our ass about it. Yes. Make sure on your resume you put Second City Hollywood. Training center. Training center. Mm -hmm. You do not get to. UCB is like, hey, you took a class. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. There ain't no, there ain't no hierarchy. Because it doesn't mean shit anyway. Hello. Like, (laughs) that's I've gotten jobs over, I've gotten jobs over a ton of Second City alumni. Hello. (laughs) The shade. No, and no, no shade. I know you don't mean it that way. Yeah. (laughs) I know you don't mean it. But like it 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 doesn't mean anything. And they were so sacred about that. Yeah, they wanted it to mean something. And it was like it's just it wasn't Second City Chicago. Sorry. Like Yeah. Not in LA. It doesn't like it's not Chicago. We're not mm -hmm. in Chicago. We're in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. So you see me in this audition with you. Sam Richardson, I remember him first seeing me in an audition to we were like auditioning for the same part. Neither of us got that one. And Sam is extremely successful now. He's a great performer and great talent. He's a, for oh. anyone listening who doesn't know him, look him up. He was on Veep as a r- regular character. Keep going. Yeah, 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 yeah. He, we were in an audition together and he was like, oh, oh. Like, when we first, when we first kind of met each other. And I was still in classes. Oh, and, and y'all were going up for the same role? Yeah. Ooh. And we both were at the callback together. Ooh. And it's, and it, that kind of was like a weird like awakening for him. I bet. To be like, oh, like I am, I'm the alumni. I've been on main stage. You're in like con four. It's like, <laughs> yeah, man, but out here that shit don't matter. <laughs> like, so and also, suck it up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've been you? around, like I've been around sets my whole life. Like that, that don't matter. I know what it takes to do this. So, but he wasn't like mad about it or anything. No, like, oh, but you could like, see the realization of, oh shit, yeah. this isn't as yeah. precious as we wanted it to be. No, no, no. That's and int- so, but yeah, where are we at? Uh, um, so you, so you got drawn back. You're performing improv, and so get us up to today. So you, you were in the grind of performing pretty regularly, and then why, why did you start writing for TV if you didn't even feel compelled in that arena? Because that oh, is a yeah. grind. Yeah, it's, that's like going to school, which mm. I already said I was not a fan of. <laughs> but uh, I'll tell you how that happened. So, you know, we go through the Second City program. I start doing stuff at UCB. I really just, I think what, what helped me was I just immersed myself in it so deeply. Mm. Like, every single night I'm doing something. So, Second City doesn't really have the indie community in Los Angeles. That's right. Like, they don't have the side shows like, like UCB does. UCB's got an indie community. So, I had to go over there to do improv every night and be around imp- like be around improv every night and meet all the people who were doing stuff over there at the popular theater. And I went over there, took the class, got on, uh, met up with some dudes and we got a team together. Uh, and I just did it so much. And then I went over to, Am- I did the CBS diversity showcase in 2013. So this is like a year, right, right when I'm starting UCB, a year after I graduated from Second City, I got casted in the CBS Diversity Showcase. That's a show that they put on every year where they audition like a bunch of people and then cast like 20 people. But also to, you don't to even get the audition, you have to be selected. It's enormously competitive. Enormously. Yeah. And so I'm on improv bench at the time. Were you on improv bench at that time? Uh-uh. What were we doing? 
Oh, okay. But like we're we're doing the Second City show. You said to twenty three people, but it was really at that sh- on that shows. It was just the other team that yep. we were doing the shows for. <laughs> and so, uh, I audition. I get get the audition to to do this. This was the, the uh, this. I was with an agent who never called me for any auditions or anything. And this was the first audition that she was like, "Hey, do you want to do this thing?" Like, I like basically almost being like, "I forgot you were on my roster." <laughs> But oh, but you're they, black. You want to do this thing? <laughs> you want you want to try to do this? I can think I can get you an audition. So I got one of the last auditions for it. Oh. I got casted in it. And that was life changing because sure. everybody comes to that show. Yes. And I had a good show. And I was I was one of the I was one of like the unknown people. I was one of the younger people in the cast. I was I was like 23. Uh, I didn't have any credits. Only credit I had was Second City at that time. And UCB 101. <laughs> and and like basically did the show got was was kind of a standout in the show that leads to a bunch of auditions between January and April like during pilot season basically i get to go out and audition for, and get that audition experience get in there and really see what that's like what that grind is like auditioning 3 4 times a week what my mom used to do when i was a kid damn that's and a lot of auditioning in a week yeah, during that during the old traditional pilot season before yeah. like a ton of streaming content came out cuz this is like before the streaming boom. Yeah, so sure. So now there's no traditional pilot season. There's pilots going up all day every day. Yeah. yeah. But back then there was still like the January to April you audition. And so I was going in. I didn't really book anything from that show, but I was getting callbacks and getting tests and stuff like that and That matters. Uh, then, yeah, yeah, it, it mattered a ton. Then I finally like booked like an under 5 and at the end of the year, I auditioned for this this improv theater in Amsterdam called Boom Chicago. And I forgot at the time, about that. Yeah. Yeah. At the time, there was only very few opportunities to get paid to do improv in the world. Very, Literally in the world. Very few. And it was like Second City Chicago or Toronto. And then there was this theater called Boom Chicago in Amsterdam. I auditioned, got into that. Went over there for a year. I, I asked my, my my manager that I got out of the showcase at the time because that's what you really that's a win in itself. Yes. is to get signed out of the showcase. So I did get signed out of the showcase to a great manager, and I asked him. I was like, "Hey, should I do this? I don't want to leave right now. I got a little bit of momentum." And they were like, "Oh, well, most of the feedback we got was that you were still a little green, so maybe this would be a great performance opportunity you get." So I went over there, suffered that out for a year. Really didn't like it at all. But I'm not even gonna get into that. But like I remember you telling uh, me, yeah, it was rough. It was yeah. lonely, right? It, it was, was lonely. Super, extremely lonely. And it was it, it just sucked. It was it wasn't for me. Uh, kudos to everybody who really loved it and enjoyed it. But it, it was definitely not for me. Yeah. But uh, came back and just kind of immersed at the whole year I was gone. The team that I got on before I left at UCB, white women, they had kind of been making their way up through the UCB ranks and. Like, so I just kind of came back and jumped on their coattails immediately. Smart. And was, yeah. Like, but you oh. had been performing regularly overseas. So even though you were in Amsterdam, you were still doing improv. So yeah, you weren't yeah. like sitting there getting rusty. You were doing it. No, I was performing every single night. And it gave me like a level of stage presence and confidence that was, that was, that was the one good thing about it. We weren't doing great work. We weren't <laughs> doing good improv, but it was like, <laughs> that was what gave me, you know, the confidence and stuff to, to, come back and kind of just like take on, I, I don't care anymore. Like sure. I'm a little bit older. I got a crazy amount of life experience while I'm over here. And I, you know, came back and was just like, Oh, I'm a UCB guy now. Like, 
But I was at the same time Dwayne was writing afros and ass whoopings. So I was doing both. So I was doing that, that like great, like almost play. Like that was, it was a play. It was a one act, like, or I don't musical. even know if that's called a one act. Is but, it yeah, one act musical. musical. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was doing that on Friday nights at UCB every other night, kind of immersing in that community, which was the hot community for improv comedy in LA and stuff like that. Sure was. Getting on teams over there, getting on a Herald team, getting on a mod team. A Herald team is the uh, improv form created by Dale Close in Chicago and then brought to LA by the UCB four is what they always say before the shows. <laughs> and Maud, like Harold and Maud, Maud is the sketch version of that. So these are the house teams at these theaters. You don't get paid to be on them, which is big, hot topic of discussion, but they give you great exposure. And because it's the hot theater in town, those shows are sold out every night. And so I was able to play in front of a sold out audience every night, every time I did these shows, plus doing the indie show still, plus with my other team. And all that experience, plus uh, being a, gone for a year and doing that, it was great. And then I kind of just like hit the ground running when I came back and was started to book little jobs and get an under five here, get a, you know, like under five is uh, under five lines on a TV show, co-star, like you get co-star credit and start to do little things like that. And the writing came because they brought back Mad TV. Uh, they resurrected Mad TV. I auditioned to be in the cast, made it far in that process, but I did not get picked eventually to be in the cast. But I did get a call from the producers and from my buddy Colton Dunn, who was like, hey, would they were interested in maybe having you on as a writer. Would you be interested in writing for the show? And at first I was like, damn, man, y'all didn't pick me. <laughs> yeah, like, ow. Yeah, <laughs> my, my like, feelings. What you saying? You saying I got a face for the writer's room? <laughs> that extra like, hurts. <laughs> yeah. But then I was like, nah, man, you know, I'm going I'm to take this gig. And because uh, at the time I was working customer service. We'll get there. I was working at Barney's Beanery. Ooh. Uh, but uh, I took the gig and I learned how the writer's room works. And it was an amazing experience. And that was sketch. And then after that, I moved on to write on uh, Brockmire. And because I got an opportunity there. And, and I just kind of, I think I got addicted to the regular check. Hello. Uh, because right. that's a good check. Were those union jobs? Yeah. Ooh, that's a well, good not, check. Well, not, not, not Brockmire, but but uh, what's it called? Was? Mad TV Mad was. Mad TV. Ooh, yeah. That's a, and then you get that WGA, WGA health insurance. And then you're like, how, how many writing jobs can I book in a day? Cause yes, please. Yeah. Yes, please. So Writing jobs take you completely out of the acting game. They sure you do. can't ask your boss. Hey, I, I got an audition. Can I go? They're going to like, no, you're under contract. You're yeah. going to stay your ass right in here and yeah. pitch these jokes that we're going to shoot down. That <laughs> <laughs> we're going to tell you are not funny enough. Cool. 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 Yeah. <laughs> but you ain't, no, you can't go act. No, no. Like, cause you're, but, cause that's like a full, that's beyond full time. We're looking at between 60 and 80 hours in a week, right? For the yeah, writer's room. Yeah. There are jobs there. When I was at Brooklyn, like there were definitely weeks where we stayed until 10 o'clock every night and came in at 10 o'clock in the morning. So was there a morning period for you during that time of thinking, well, I guess I'm never going to act again. You have since gotten in front of the camera. We, we knew that with your bio and stuff, but like, was there a time when you thought, oh shit, I guess I'm just a writer now. And that makes me sad. I never thought that. And I, and it didn't make me sad to think about that either. Okay. Because I say the first experience I had of writing and like when I was on Mad TV, hearing my seeing my sketch put up, produced with the set, with the with everything, every little joke that I wrote in the in the script all coming to life 
And then seeing the actors on the show perform my material and get laughs from the audience, that feels just that's, that feels just as good as doing it yourself, mm. in my opinion. Sure. It's still so that like, high. Yeah. When I when I didn't get on the show, I was like, I'm coming in here to make sure y'all like I'm going to I'm going to treat this job just like I did get on the show. I'm not going to be bitter. Good they you. only had one black dude. So I know that it was between me and him. He's a good friend of mine. And I was like, I'm going to make you the star of this show. So, like, I want you to be the man. Like, and I would write all the characters and stuff for him. And, like, er those sketches were getting picked every week. I got something on the show every week. So, it was dope. It was, that was a dope experience. And I was like, oh, I can do this. Plus, again, regular check. Come on. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) Yes. Getting paid on Fridays is the shit. As opposed (laughs) to writing. I mean, acting. When it's like, oh, you get paid when you get paid. You, you'll see the check eventually once yeah. the manager takes their cut. It's like, exactly. Oh, okay. Agent, manager, lawyer, SAG, like, everybody. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I, I was like, it's regular check. This regular check life is dope. Yeah. And yeah, I just, I was, I, I never had the thought to be like, mm, maybe I'm just going to be a writer now. I was kind of like, maybe I'll just be a writer now. <laughs> but like, you were, there wasn't like a mourning period of, I can't be an actor. It was, Writing is pretty dope. I'm good right now. I'm going to stay in this lane. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, there was a period of extreme insecurity in the writer's room. Why? Because the writer's room is tough on new people. Mm -hmm. The writer's room is tough on people of color. Like, it's one of those last bastions of whiteness in Hollywood. Honestly. That's, That's really sad. Yeah. No disrespect to anybody I've ever worked with. But it's tough. Did you, and, you could actually notice that you were getting treated in a less than preferable way directly related to being a person of yes, color? Yes. I don't know if it was, I don't know if it was directly related to person of color. Okay. I won't say that, but I will say there were moments where I was like, I'm pitching something for a character of color and y'all are telling me they wouldn't say that. And then they pitch a joke where I know they wouldn't say that. And that's the joke that gets on. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a that's a level of privilege that I think we're trying uh, yeah. needs to be unpacked. And, and that's there's true. For, hi- yeah. There's hierarchies in the writers' room. So when you come in new, and there was there was a thing of of the whole diversity hire push sure. in writers' rooms. And so there were just like little microaggressions. And they they I'm I'm pretty sure because a lot of most of these people, majority of these people were extremely nice to me. But there were moments where they'd be having conversations about the person that they wanted to hire but couldn't because they didn't have it in the budget. or something. And they never said like, but we had to hire you, Carl. They never said anything like that. But it would just be like when I'm already struggling and I feel like I can't talk to anybody about this. And then here I am, you know, six years in the comedy game, been around the world doing this shit, performed in this thing, doing this, that like going on stage every single night, killing the audience. And yet every time I say something in this writer's room, it's crickets. Like, like that sucks. So it, it, it's, it's a mind freak. And so luckily I still had the performance outlet of UCB. And this is one I'm, I'm speaking more, less along the lines of Mad TV, but more along the lines of when I started writing for uh, network, like television shows and stuff. Yeah. He's speaking very generally. This is not coming for anyone show in particular. He's not coming no. for any particular writer's room or anybody in a particular writer's room. Carl is lovely. He is not, I am pushing him to answer these questions. He is not, there is in no way that this should be interpreted as Carl's bitter or no. wasn't extremely grateful <laughs> yeah. to be there. He was all of extremely those things. Extremely grateful. Extremely yes. grateful. But it, it's experiences. It's processes. 
And yeah. I've also had great, like for every bad moment that I'm talking about, I've had great moments sure. where I pitched a joke that clo- that seals up the, the scene. You know, I've, I've pitched jokes that I get to perform, that I get to act. Like So like I'm on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, the character that I played was written by me. Oh, Carl, that's so, so cool. Yeah, it wasn't my episode, but it was the, a character that I pitched. Like, what if this guy comes in and does this? What if he says this? And then I act it out because that's how I pitch is because that's like, you know, performer, performer first kind of. That's ha- so helpful and in the room. That's so helpful. You do it in the, you do it in the table read because at the table read, the, act, the writers perform the parts that aren't casted yet. Ooh. And so you perform. I did it in the table read and they were like, well, why don't you just do it? And so that had to feel so I would have I would have tried to contain myself, but I don't know if I would have been able to. I would have been like, okay, okay, that's great. Yep. mm -hmm, I'll definitely do that. Yeah, it was was dope. It was dope. I've done that on I did that on the other show. I just got through right now uh, connecting as well. Got to play a part. You left that out of your bio. Carl, Carl made me trim down his bio because he's very humble and it's very annoying. And he was like, you you don't have to put that in. No, that can go too. that can go too. I'm not kidding. He made me I read it to him before we started recording. He's like, come on. (laughs) And he goes, are the bios always this long on your podcast? Do people really need to hear all that? And I was like, I want my guests to get to know you. And he was like, ah, ah, so this is really who Carl is. This isn't performative. It's very annoying. He's very humble. Anyway, <laughs> we'll keep it moving. Okay, so you get so so you now pre COVID, you were performing pretty regularly. You were in a room already writing, mm-hmm. and now we mentioned in your bio, I kept it in, that on February sixteenth, your new show is premiering with one of the loveliest humans in Hollywood, Keenan Thompson. And so, mm-hmm. what are you working right now? Yeah, I'm I'm writing on. I'm still on the Keenan show right now. Okay, so uh, so you you are writing remotely. Rem- yeah, I'm, I'm remotely, I'm the onset writer. So because of COVID, I was onset, but when the numbers got really crazy, they just said you can stay home. And so I have to watch the live feed and pitch jokes that way. And my boss will text me like, hey, we need some runners for this. Uh, and no pressure, really cool. Carl. <laughs> no pressure at all. I mean, it's yeah, <laughs> no pressure. But it's a lot of pressure because I'm like, I'm at home. Also, I was just playing 2K. Yeah. Like, <laughs> You're like, I am not in show mode. <laughs> right. I wasn't really watching the feed. All right, let me go. Let me go. Let me rewind the feed. Okay. Okay. Then he can say this. Then he can say that. <laughs> well, it speaks to your improv brain, though. I mean, it, sometimes it helps to not be hyper-focused in it. Maybe that's just part of your process, Carl. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So that gets us to today. Well, folks, I wanted him to have a pretty long intro because I wanted you to get to know him. So now we hope you enjoyed your apps. We're going to move on to the entrees after a quick break. 